Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Media China Chairman Duncan Clark joins me here on the Singapore State at the New Economy Forum. I mean, we've been listening there to the fact that uh, Donald Trump has formally entered the 2024 U.S. presidential race and also Ed talking about China and Russia. Uh, we sort of thought we might have an off-ramp between U.S.-China tensions too with that meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi. How are you sort of landscaping the, the, the geopolitical landscape? Yeah, so obviously the meeting didn't go badly in the sense that it was cordial, um, mm. but it doesn't really address the deeper issues. It's maybe one can call it some sort of Botox, if you will, for a situation <laughs> where there's there's a lot of a lot of pressure on, under the surface there. Obviously, from the technology war, as you described, the trade war. Interestingly, you just mentioned you know, if it's true that Trump is formally declaring. I mean, this is was kicked off really formally by him, although Obama had you know ramped up the pressure on China. But it's the one area that the, the the GOP and the Dems really agree on is just maintaining pressure on China. So that won't change either way. So it's, it's, it's interesting to think that's the, the only thing that they can agree on is this China pressure. Yeah, absolutely. But we're continuing to see the, the US-China tech war as well. It's kind of a matter of who's going to blink first here too. It is. I mean, you know, we can talk uh, about lose-lose versus win-win, which perhaps we lived in before. Um, so there's costs on both sides for this. Uh, so it's more of a game of chicken in terms of who can maintain uh, the pain. And, and as we look at the semiconductor sector, we see the pain ramping up over time for China. Uh, of course, it's also ramping up for U.S. providers of capital equipment and other participants. But from a strategic standpoint, it's China that's really facing a big uh, challenge Xi Jinping has clearly enunciated his belief in indigenous innovation, the China's capacity to innovate independently of the U.S. and perhaps others. And so that's the big bet. Will this bet pay off? throwing lots of money at the problem, will it be successful? There's a lot of investor hope and optimism too that perhaps the, the, the regulatory crackdown can potentially come to an end. What is next then after the tech crackdown and, and I guess how do we look at China tech? Right, and it's perhaps instructive to look at the property sector. As you've seen, the real estate developers have been hammered in China uh, and seems like some easing uh, over the last few days, uh, extension of certain deadlines of those policies. So perhaps that's a precursor to doing the same thing for tech, mm. saying, you know, the consequences of a downturn in, in the property sector, like in the tech sector, is, is pretty damaging, particularly when you're maintaining the zero COVID sort of blanket overall economic activity in China. So I think, you know, we're probably the, over the worst for the anti-tech crackdown. But the fundamental issue there remains, if there are private sector tech companies in China, how does the government view them? And we saw that famously with Ant 
group, the Alibaba spin-off two years ago with that aborted IPO. I think there is clear tension um, between the Communist Party and the state on one hand and these private sector players getting too big. If they can reach a new accommodation over you know, control of data, over the sheer power of some of these companies, uh, which is a global problem. I mean, look at TikTok, the debate about how powerful that is. In China, too, there's a debate about how big is big tech, but it has a different flavor because of the private sector element. China needs to figure out, are they going to allow private sector companies to become dominant in certain areas? If not, can they replace them? You know, uh, you do, sorry, excuse me, focus quite closely on Alibaba. I believe you've yeah. written a book on Alibaba as well. We know, we're looking at uh, their earnings coming through tomorrow. Eleven uh, Eleven won't be reflected in that. Not, not a great shopping day for Alibaba, but but what happens to turn the consumer sentiment around here? Yeah, so there's the number one thing is zero COVID. I mean, yeah. it is, you know, if we see some maybe Swiss cheese uh, approach to zero COVID now. We're seeing certain governments, local governments, not perhaps fully implementing, but we see, uh, you know, unrest, I think, this morning in Guangzhou, for example, uh, where people are just fed up with this. Uh, you know, I've been in and out of China on and off the last two years. It is a painful existence with the daily testing mm. and the sort of uncertainty. And it does seem there are signals now uh, also reducing quarantine for people coming in, you know, changing some of the mechanics. Also, the sheer cost of maintaining the zero COVID policy is stunning. I mean, the, the testing, the, the economic impact. So I, I think we're beginning to... Uh, even though they're maintaining the policy, I think we're going we're to Swiss cheese our way out to this over time. Yeah, it seems they're looking for an off-ramp, isn't it, when they're starting to slowly reduce some of those restrictions. We've seen that 20-point plan as well. But when you say you're going to unswervingly commit to COVID zero, it's kind of hard to find that off-ramp. When do you actually see a full reopening of China? Well, some of it may be linked to vaccines. And again, this goes back to the indigenous innovation question. China's been hoping that they could develop their own mRNA vaccines from, again, state-driven players rather than licensing from, say, Moderna or BioNTech, Pfizer, as we've seen. And again, this anathema of having to work with private sectors in China, like Fosun, which had licensed uh, BioNTech uh, for China, versus this dream of the state being able to solve this problem. It's, it's a question of, I hate to say it, the cliche, but face the idea that a private sector, a foreign player, is going to solve this problem. I think, though, the costs are just mounting day by day, and so I think there'll be some accommodation for some sort of licensing. There was some discussion with the Chancellor Schultz's visit of some mm -hmm. license or some availability of vaccines to foreigners in China, but that's the way out of this, I think, formally, because you, obviously China is vulnerable otherwise with an elderly population with limited rural health care. They can't just open the gates. Uh, to COVID. <laughs> when, we look at, when we look at the steep slowdown in China, though, I mean, there's so many factors really affecting the geopolitical landscape. And we've been talking about the war in Ukraine. We've been talking about the, the increased pressure from Russia as well. And of course, there's global inflation too. But does China's steep slowdown, is that one of the biggest impacts to the overall health of the global economy? Well, strangely, if you think about it, the zero COVID is actually repressing consumption and we have more deflation in China. So one could argue that actually by China going out of zero COVID, you'd actually perhaps see some inflationary pressures, which would worsen the global inflationary picture. So at the moment, China is just a very isolated situation. Reintegrating with the uh, global economy is going to take time. And at conferences like this, it's quite apparent that uh, the Chinese delegates are here are kind of witnessing the fact that China is just not really very present in terms of lots of debates in business investment. Investment flows are beginning to go elsewhere. Supply chains are sort of reforming around China. And, you know, the question is, is China really fully committed to this, you know, isolation or to this uh, separation of the domestic economy and the international economy? And if they're not, they need to start beginning to make moves. I think they're beginning to uh, look at opening up. Uh, it's going to take time. In 12 months' time, are U.S.-China relations better or worse? And does that, uh, is that impacted by whether or not we do see Donald Trump as the Republican candidate? 
Yeah, I think the Trump, that's an interesting question, the analysis on that. I mean, I think obviously the strong performance of the Democrats just recently probably came as a bit of surprise to the Chinese authorities as it did to many people, that, that, that going into Bali, Biden is a much stronger uh, player than they, they had expected, mm. uh, potentially going beyond two years, of course, they're making that calculation. So a year from now, you know, we're still going to be a year out from the presidentials. It's still going to be unclear. I mean, I guess the biggest factor will be events. Does anything happen with regarding Taiwan, either statements on the Taiwanese government side or the U.S. side that or an accident that, that precipitates a, a crisis? Um, the, the hope is that this meeting, you know, yesterday is reduce the temperature a bit, but it can easily flare up again. So it's still a very precarious situation. Indeed. We thank you so much for your time, BDA China Chairman Duncan Clark, with me here at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum in Singapore. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.